0: What are the four main food groups of RIA technology? It seems that everyone wants to be a TAMP these days. And haven't we heard enough about investment already? This is the Consultants Roundtable episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and the technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to Group.co. that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Welcome to the wonderful world of wealth tech again this week. I'm Craig Eskowitz, your host on the Wealth Management Today podcast. Thanks for listening. This is an exciting episode. I had this great idea. I talked to a lot of consultants. I run a consulting firm, and we always have these great conversations about the industry, about trends, about news. And I thought, why not record it? turn it into a podcast, share it with the world. That's what you're going to get today. It's exciting. It's interesting. There's a lot going on in this episode. I know you're going to love it. I've got two of my favorite consultants who I've worked with on a number of projects. These guys know the industry. They know it backwards and forwards. They know everything, and you're going to get some free consulting now. This is what you usually have to pay for. Their comments, their, their feedback, their ideas, what's going on in the industry. We talk about TAMPs, we talk about uh, transactions, we talk about, of course, InvestNet, we can't stop talking about them. Lots of good stuff, uh, mainly RA technology focused in this episode. You're really going to love it. I'm not going to hold it off any longer. So here we go. And on this episode of Wealth Management Today, this is the Consultants Roundtable. We have two consultants that I've worked with in the past who I greatly respect and have a lot of uh, strength and knowledge in the industry. The first is Kristen Schmidt. Hi, Kristen. Good morning. Good morning. And you are a technology strategist and consultant to independent and hybrid RIAs, and your company is called RIA Oasis. Thanks for being on the program. Uh,
1: Thanks for having me.
0: The other consultant we have is Gavin Spitzner. Hey, Gavin. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, and your company is Wealth Consulting Partners, where you advise enterprise clients, including banks and RIAs, and you do wealth management business and technology strategy. And thank you for being on the program. Great to be with you and Kristen, Craig. Yes, this is the first time you guys have met. Uh, I'm really happy about that, and I've worked with you both on lots of different projects. So uh, I'm excited to have you both on this discussion and talking about what's in the news and some of the, the things that are moving the industry. So I'm going to be the host and I'm going to throw different topics out to you guys and, and get your feedback and I'll throw in some of my own. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Investnet, and haven't we all heard enough about Investnet? They seem to be sucking the oxygen out of everything. <laughs> Whether they're acquiring somebody or announcing a partnership or launching something. The first thing we wanted to talk about was the, uh, the money guy pro purchase. So, so Gavin, what do you think about that and, and, and how it's playing in the industry? So we've had a little bit of time to digest that.
2: Well, I've been a uh, an advocate, a fan, uh, since that was announced. I think they got tired of all the firms asking them uh, if they're connected and integrated deeply with Money Guy Pro. They've been very, very focused on financial wellness, as, as we've all talked about over the past couple of years, especially coming out of the Yodley acquisition. And, and I think like you know, many of us have spoken about, it's at the end of the day, it's about Certainly advisor experience and efficiency connecting all the dots in terms of planning, aggregation, data, proposaling, investment management. But more than anything, it's about data, right? Money Guy Pro is it really plays well into their data strategy. Um, what I see is something like 2, two million plans worth of, of data co- come with that. So it really puts them in the catbird seat in terms of helping firms, helping advisors leverage data much more
0: effectively. How about you, Kristen? For, from your point of view, a lot of NDRIAs, where do you see this this, this playing out?
1: I would I would agree with that. I think you know one area I see it strengthening, obviously, is that financial planning-centric mentality that firms are trying to have. And I think that as much as investment was fostering that type of servicing with advisors, they certainly didn't have the technology to support it right? directly. And so I think that it definitely offers advisors more of an all-in-one solution, which we know InvestNet is obviously trying to strive for. I do think that advisors are still wondering what does it mean, right? We see this often when especially InvestNet purchases something and there really isn't clarity for these RIAs as to what does it mean for me as a subscriber? what will change and what will stay the same. So I think even though this has been out there, like you said, we've been marinating on it for a couple of weeks, I still think we're a little unclear as to the trajectory of what InvestNet will do with it. But I agree with Gavin, this is definitely a large data pool that they now own.
0: It's a huge data pool. I wrote about that, uh, I did a blog post about that. And mm-hmm. I posted it as soon as it came out that it, was, it seemed to me more of a data play and you know how will this help advisors with? They've already had integration to MoneyGate Pro and eMoney. They, they announced it at their conference. I remember three years ago, or maybe four years ago, they were talking about eMoney and MoneyGate Pro integration. And MoneyGate Pro and eMoney, from my experience, have always had some of the best APIs and most uh, robust API sets in the industry. So I'm not sure that integration was the issue. Uh, I saw that as, as this is being a, a play that they want to get more advisor eyeballs. And advisors, there's a significant portion of advisors who spend most of their time in their planning tool rather than in their investment tool. So, do you guys see this as a, a, a investment realizing is that there's another class of advisors that they're not really servicing that focus more on planning?
1: I definitely see that as kind of the play in a sense of finding that financial centric advisor in those types of firms. But I will also say, I believe that this is also a stretch to what I consider the four main food groups in our industry, CRM, Portfolio Management,
0: Client Portal,
1: and Financial Planning. And if you look at InvestNet and how full their plate is, right, um, they have secured three of those four, and with the Purchase Money Guide Pro kind of have this full plate. All food groups are, are Sustained. And so I think that client portal plays a very large part in this, in a sense of saying, and and Gavin, I don't know about you, I have these conversations daily with advisors, which is, I have all this data, but I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) It's one thing to collect it. Where do I put it? What's the value of the data? And by the way, these advisors are spending a ton of time with the data, with their clients building the relationships. So I think if you look at the data pool and say, Wow, investment does have their advisor view and client portal accesses, as Kevin mentioned, with Yodely. That's also the play is that that data can now push and be relevant to your clients on demand through online access.
2: I think that's a great point, and I, I absolutely see the same thing. They're, they're aggressively pushing into the, the client portal space. You know, They, they went down the road with, with Logics. And trying to build that in, and, and you know, some folks have said the Money Guy Pro deal uh, is somewhat of a, a reflection that logics didn't pan out. I, I don't really look at it that way. I, I think they folded some of the capabilities into their uh, native systems, especially around the portal. They learned a lot from that, and I think that put them on the road towards towards realizing just how how much better their client experience, their advisor experience, could be. Fully owning the the number one market share, planning software, and to Kristen's point, really uh, leveraging that and integrating that into that full client life cycle, on behalf of their their enterprise clients and, and advisors. I think the other part uh, we haven't touched on yet, but I think you can't look at this in isolation without looking at the insurance exchange, uh, credit exchange. You know, again, they're they're trying to. They've clarified their mission around financial planning, um, helping advisors deliver better client experiences, leveraging all of that data, rounded in planning, and by, I was going to say bolting on, but obviously their strategy uh, is is much more focused on complete data and application integration, but uh, integrating uh, these other capabilities like the insurance exchange, the credit exchange, where it is holistic uh, financial wellness. Based planning and advice delivery and then the ongoing management of that um it's hard to argue with that right when we're out there talking with advisors and firms and how they're going to grow and, and
0: differentiate it is really based on that that uh, premise yeah, with the uh, the insurance and the credit exchange uh, I was just writing about that on, on my blog and how that combining that with their model exchange creates a pretty powerful ecosystem for, uh, in the advice space, would you say, Gavin?
2: No question. Um, And and for the, uh, you know, scores or hundreds of of firms that, you know, want to buy an outsourced turnkey end-to-end solution, um, you know, with the exception perhaps of an Orion, they are quickly becoming the only game in town. And and to Kristen's point before, they've they've got those main food groups, haven't uh, gotten into CRM Tamarack has some native CRM capabilities but their play has been more to integrate with the leaders like Salesforce primarily so yeah for the market they want something turnkey and then it's very compelling um, obviously a lot of work to be done around integration um and clarifying what you know what this means to existing users of these different capabilities and then it's going to leave the market for for you know, certain firms and, and advisors that want to piece together what they would consider a best-of-breed solution to, to, the, to the other players in the space.
1: Can I key off of that? Because I actually just had a recent experience uh, literally yesterday with a client in regards to integrations. And I think that it's a good topic to bring up and and a reminder to advisors and planners that just because something is noted as integrated – that is not blingy and <laughs> we need to not be the mosquitoes looking at the light.
0: What do you mean? It's, it's integrated. It's integrated?
1: <laughs> right? I don't understand. Exactly. And so I think that obviously as consultants, we always want to try to educate and you know, as Gavin mentioned, you know, really be that strategy around it. Does the data push and pull which way? Is it bilateral? Is that button really yeah. valuable or does it just kind of look fancy? But I will say that as we look at the larger firms that are starting to adopt those four food groups I mentioned, what I am seeing, even with especially with InvestNet, I am seeing they are starting to charge for integrations with Salesforce, for example, which is an example of my client recently. Um, so to, to integrate Tamarack with Salesforce is a per user charge per quarter that isn't disclosed. And you find out once you start setting up the integration, Really? yeah, Orion has also has one. And so we're seeing the large leaders in our industry also struggling to hold up, right? In a sense of cost and efficiency to, the universal leaders such as Salesforce, right? We know Salesforce is not based in our industry. We're, you know, we're a small blip on the radar in financial investment uh, for Salesforce, uh, yet a powerful one. So we're seeing these pieces of the puzzle kind of come together. And what happens is is yes, investment and Tamarack are the giants, but I think we still have a ways to go in creating what what you know they're often calling a package in understanding what's included in that package and the impact it makes to these firms and um Gavin I don't know about you but that's how i joke that you know that's how i'll always have a job in this industry <laughs> <at> this <point>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's no, translating right.
2: that i think we all absolutely there's i think that is i think that is where we add value because you know the, the providers they're moving so fast it it's hard for the folks on the front lines to even be able to absorb it all and then present it to to firms and advisors in a in a cogent coherent way and the buyers they don't know what they don't know and they we've all seen it they make assumptions um, in terms of what comes pre-packaged as part of the fee versus what might be a, a modular fee or what might have an integration fee um, so yeah i think that's that's value that we add to, to help paint that full picture to say, what what is the whole ecosystem? Where are the connection points in terms of data, application, user experience, and, um, and frankly, help buyer and seller uh, speak a common language and not make assumptions where they get, you know, three months, six months, a year down down the road in terms of imp- implementation. And there's a lot of finger points. Say, wait a second, when you said integration or when you said crm uh, integration we assumed it meant this and nope it meant this and, and and it's it's hard it's not blaming anybody it's just the facts of life when things were moving so quickly
1: craig you're on twitter right and the <laughs> and gavin you're on twitter as well i can but start tweeting now we're, while we're, we're talking <laughs> <laughs> no but what we're seeing is we're seeing Heavy influencers in our industry coming to simplicity saying, stop using words that sound so powerful yet mean nothing for an impact of our business, right? Seamless integration. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's like saying jumbo shrimp. It's such an oxymoron to say seamless integration because there isn't a seamless integration. And that's the purpose. You integrate, but you monitor and you manage and that's what technology is bringing to the table. Uh, You know, all in one, what does that mean? All of what, (laughs) of what food groups, which areas? uh, Does all in one help me focus on my business and the services I offer, or is it an all in one for another business? So I think it's the same thing. Integration fits that, you know, those coined phrases that are overused in the industry and partly just because they're defined differently for every firm.
0: Well, if, if we say all in one means all four food groups, I'm, I'm stealing your term, Kristen. I love that. <laughs> all four food groups. How many firms have it and who can challenge Investnet for the business?
1: Well, obviously Tamarack is is and Investnet are are you know the leaders and that was kind of the goal. You know, when we were talking about the Money Guide Pro purchase, if you look back, you know, hindsight 2020, to those of us who've kind of been in the industry and following this, you'll recognize that. MoneyGuide Pro stopped building their client portal years ago because they made the, uh, that agreement to play, play nice in the sandbox with eMoney. And when we saw that, we knew that they were heavy into integrations and less on their own technology. Of course, now hindsight 2020, they didn't need a portal because now investment has one, right? So investment and Tamarack, I think, are definitely on the high list of all-in-ones. I think the biggest question I work with with firms is, do I buy an all-in-one package, you know, another competitor that's trying to gain momentum and advise on? The question for advisors is, will you build your own all-in-one, right? It it teeters on the word proprietary because it's really not. We're all just, you know, using our Lincoln logs and putting things together. Um, But the idea is, will you build your own and manage your own? Or would you like somebody else to have done it for you? And then you get into the theory of, as a firm, do I want to put all my eggs in one basket with a company? And I think that's actually where we have some fear right now is, if I go all in one with one company, what if they get bought out? That's a huge question I get all the time, right? Um, Everybody's getting eaten, and now big fish are eating big fish. What does it mean for me? I think that's where there's a little fear.
2: How about you, Gavin? Well, I think those are great points, and, and I think it, it does speak to picking your anchor partner, and that might be different for different firms and advisors, depending on their, their practice pattern, if you will, but it, it just, it's just a huge decision because the pain of a conversion uh, is it, just massive. Nobody likes to go through those. It's just really, we've all seen this with, with firms that have gone through massive changes. It disrupts business. There's I don't care what providers say about, oh, we can get you up and running in three months and bubble. Blah, blah, blah. It, it's a massive disruption. So I'll take it in a slightly different direction, or maybe build on what Chris was saying in terms of who you partner with. I think one of the more interesting things going on, and this, Craig, might take us a little bit into the, the general TAMP conversation, is firms, especially RAA aggregators that have built out their own ecosystem, leveraging underlying technology providers like InvestNet, like Orion and others, and then are both using that for their own their own RIA advisors, part of their RIA, but then also delivering that on an outsourced basis to unaffiliated um, RIA's that say, look, I don't want to go through all those those you know build by rent decisions and, and building things out. If I can private label what you have built that integrates the four food groups, to Kristen's point, and if that's economically viable, if I can still uh, you know make, make a margin on that in terms of what I deliver to my clients, all right, that's kind of interesting. Look at United Capital. I think I tweeted or posted or something about uh, the fact that they announced they now have more in, in their thin life uh, CX outsource. Uh, solution than they do with their own internal REA. I think they hit $25 billion in lightning speed. A couple of years, really, uh, where firms are are leveraging that that fully baked capability. They can leverage uh, Salesforce That's part of that or bring in their own CRM in a a pretty tightly integrated fashion. And then other REA aggregators are doing similar things. Whether it's Carson focused with their different acquisitions, so that that to me is a really interesting space to watch and and what that does to the market dynamics.
1: Yeah, you know what you bring up a good point, but I think but here here's an inter- interesting piece to that puzzle, and, and is this just United Capital and their girth, or is this the industry and, and where it's going? I talked mm-hmm. about the four food groups, and there is a bit. Of an orphan in those four, which is CRM. Um, I've done this a while, and I see the ebbs and the flows of interest of technology conversions. Right? There are years where I do multiple, multiple portfolio management moves, then suddenly I'm heavy working into financial planning the next year. Right? And this year I am very heavy in CRM, just purely by cravings of advisors. But if we look at the United Capital platform, 18 months ago. They were offering a CRM opportunity along with their proprietary Mm -hmm. client experience tools, which really have no match, right, Um, and are amazing tools. But now they don't offer CRM. They offer for you to plug yours in, right? And so we're starting to see that become peeled off. We're starting to see InvestNet really focus on financial planning, some of those insurance pieces you mentioned, their entire TAMP offering. Their client portal and aggregation, and CRM isn't talked about as much. And so I think that we're st- I'm starting to see that shift. And Gavin, I don't know if you are or not, um, but the CRM space is starting to tighten a bit. And advisors are also realizing that that truly drives their business in a sense of growth and client service. And how do I put those pieces plug those pieces together?
2: Well, certainly in the bank space, where where I do a lot of work. I won't say that the war is over, but Salesforce is, you know, absolutely the eight hundred pound gorilla. So if they're everywhere, usually driven from the top down to banks and then the wealth management groups uh inherit that and, and you know kind of figure things out over time. Um, that then it is. I don't know if it's an orphan, but it is a little bit outside that and and frankly it makes things easier in that space where you don't have as many uh smaller CRMs that that have, you know, this one's got five percent market share, this one at seven, et cetera. It makes it easier for for uh you know, firms like a like an Investnet just to say just and to have that bi directional interface. And I'm sure that will be that'll build out over time in terms of workflow tools, client portal integration and all of that. Although that was an interesting thing I saw last summer at I think it was last summer's Invest Conference. At Salesforce was rolling out their own client portal, um, so that that's going to be a, a little bit of an interesting uh, dynamic in the marketplace in terms of how they partner or or not so much with some of the other
0: providers. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. This year, over 500 advisors have been nominated with a chance to receive up to $50,000 for their charity. The winners will be announced at the Invest in Others Gala that will be held on Thursday, September 26, 2019, at the Western Boston Waterfront Hotel. I was there at the gala last year, and I was really blown away when I watched the videos of the top advisors and seeing their impact on their associated charities. With almost 100 sponsor firms and close to 700 industry professionals attending, the Invest in Others Gala is a fantastic opportunity for your organization to support an exceptional cause while also taking the opportunity to network with current and prospective clients. For more information on how you or your firm can participate, please go to the Invest in Others website at investinothers.org forward slash sponsor. I'll also include a link to it in the show notes for all of you, and I encourage you to click on it, read the instructions, and participate if you can. It's really a wonderful cause. Yeah, but with Tamps, do you see everyone becoming a Tamp? Right? We we've seen, or and and is that going to destroy the Tamp model, or just make it make a stronger differentiation between firms that really know how to do it and firms that are just doing it to make a couple extra bucks?
2: I think the firms that can kind of carve out a, a niche and provide something holistic, and then, and then that that appeals to a certain uh, market, especially in the RIA space, they'll. They'll win business, and, and one whole area that we really haven't touched on yet is is and this just speaks to the whole convergence going on in the business. Whether you started off as CRM and you're you're moving in in different directions, you start off as portfolio management, and you're you're coming this way, and, and that is the digital advice providers that might have had their roots in just pure robo capabilities, but they're sitting there saying, "Hold on a second, we've got." We we built from scratch, so we've got uh, you know digital, uh, much more frictionless capabilities uh, inherent to our capability. And and rather than just stop at hey, we'll be your digital advice solution, why stop there? Why can't we be a an RIA capability that you put all of your managed accounts on? Uh, we saw in the bank space. We saw Citizens Bank, based up in Rhode Island and, and throughout New England, announce they're deepening their partnership with Sigfig. which start off as as just their their robo advisor solution, but building that out to to offer a fully advisor-led, what I'll call a TAMP solution that has models and automatic rebalancing, and obviously digital client engagement tools and, and more. So that. Where I sit, I'm doing a lot of work helping firms figure out digital strategy. Those worlds are starting to blend, and so I think that definitely need to keep an eye on the digital advice providers and where they fit into this puzzle.
0: What do you think, Kristen? I,
1: I would agree to that. I think yeah, I'm I'm seeing that as well. Although because I'm I'm more on the RIA and institutional side of the industry, I'm seeing it for certain segmentations of clients. I think. Yeah. Advisors and planners in our space think that one solution will service their quote-unquote business instead of thinking about what solutions service a certain segment. And I, I'm a broken record on this, but that doesn't mean segment based on AUM alone, right? There are other values applied to clients that determine their segmentation. For example, you know, are they a COI or a center of influence? Are they not rich now, but they're going to be getting rich, right? And so we want to treat them with white gloves. Um, So all those different segments, I think exactly what you explained, Kevin. it fits for a certain segment. Um, And remember, those segments are also age-relative or personality-relative, right? Depending upon what the expectations are for service and and deliverables. I'll also say in the TAMP space, I I agree with you, Craig, it's exploding. Does everyone seem like, you know, acting like they are a TAMP? What I'm also seeing is a bridge towards firms having interest in hiring a CIO or a chief investment officer as a service, as an outsource. So back in the day, we you know we used to hire for that. That was you know multiple positions in a firm to help that train keep running. And now I'm you know we're seeing a lot of either you know RIAs. Or um, hybrid models that, as mentioned before, are offering their models to others, but are also offering that customization for an advisor, right? So the biggest gripe when you look at a TAMP and you say to an advisor or planner, you should use this, it brings efficiency to your firm and allows you to grow. Instead of trading, you can be rainmaking, right, and grind the firm. And the answer is, I don't want to put my clients in buckets. I don't, I don't, I don't want cookie cutter, and I don't want my clients to think I'm cookie cutter. What's interesting is the way that I talk about that with clients is that's not your value, <laughs> and that's the reason I believe camps are starting to get bigger is that it's a huge value to the overall wealth of your of your clients and the, and the relationship. But what the value is that you're bringing, right, is the relationship itself and is the wealth management and the goals planning and the financial planning and the net worth conversations. If that's the value you bring, then the champ and in the, in the investment management modeling is a small percentage of that. So I'm starting to see a lot of advisors willing to, instead of give up the entire piece of investment management, taking segments, going to that digital side, like Gavin mentioned, or taking... Uh, a small percentage and having an outsourced investment manager help with a lot of those assets?
2: No, no question. There's an absolute correlation between the, the you know, pivot towards planning-based practices away from asset management as that's become commoditized, decompression, all the things we know, um, and, that, and that, that correlating rise of, of comfort with outsourcing things that used to be core to to many of these practices, so I'm with you. Um, and actually, I'll I'll put Craig's hat on for a second and ask you a question. Question: Given your your focus in the REA space, is are you seeing some of that outsourcing? Would you put in the camp of RIAs leveraging Schwab in, intelligent betterment for advisors capabilities like those, or, or are you thinking about different types of firms? I'll take my
0: job.
1: That's a good question.
0: Kristen, you don't have to answer that question. <laughs>
1: in In the space that I'm working in with RAAs that are anywhere from 300 million assets under management up to close to a billion, I'm seeing, and especially that space of 300 to 600, I'm starting to see firms, I, I use the phrase, they're too big to be small, but too small to be big in that that outsourcing piece, like you mentioned, Gavin, of using, you know, Schwab intelligent portfolios um, or using a betterment is something that they are researching. What I am seeing is a lot of those sized firms still want the personal touch of a CIO or somebody Helping them manage the the portfolios, they still want to have a voice. And so what I'm seeing is RIAs outsourcing their models, their services, their people, and then these advisors feel as if they have a a connection and a voice to what happens in these portfolios. So I'm starting to see a lot of RIAs turned, you know, investment managers offering their services outsourced, and we're starting to see those connections of the people rather than the packaged products. That's what I'm seeing
0: currently. Interesting. Very interesting. So less packaged products, you're saying?
1: Well, here's the shift. As mentioned before, I think that everybody's researching all of those options. One is cost. If you're not taking your entire book of business to those types of platforms, the cost sometimes is outweighed. Secondly, if, if an advisor doesn't have segmentation completed, if you haven't identified exactly which types of clients and which accounts are going to go, you're in a fog of how much you will give them and then how much that will cost. So oftentimes when advisors start researching this option, they get caught in the mud because they realize their business isn't organized to be supported by some type of outsourced camp, even if it is just a piece of the pie. And then lastly, again, the struggle at a consulting level is a lot of these advisors and planners, they believe that the investment management piece of the pie is their value. They've been selling that as their value for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. And so when you have to shift that trajectory and say, Of course, that's one of the values you bring. But the true value is the holistic approach to the financial planning and the relationship. Suddenly, they have to value the rest of the services they offer. And it's hard to figure out that balance.
2: Yeah, we're barely in the first inning of that shift. For all the talk about (laughs) shifting to financial planning, financial planning adoption, uh, it's one thing to be a user of Guy Pro, uh, e-money, nav plan, whatever, uh, and it's another thing to you know, really deliver that and even price that as as your core value. Um, so yeah, they, they they in five years, certain, you know five seven years, we're going to be in a very very different place. I think where investment management, other than really high net worth and institutional, uh, you know, complex uh, mandate type business concentrated positions low cost base other than those scenarios uh, it, it's going to be very turnkey uh, fees you know we're already seeing fees coming down to zero uh, maybe the the ash allocation and rebalancing part is worth 25 35 basis points um, but the value and how how advisors charge is going to adapt and, and, and adopt to. To a planning-based practice, which has all kinds of implications, and, and one thing we didn't touch on yet is was you know, Schwab's what what I consider a, a you know, massive shakeup in the industry, moving to subscription-based pricing, and, and not subscription in the sense of that's the, the big change, but really capping out a fee for, in their case, unlimited access to CFPs, remote, albeit remote versus you know face-to-face contact combined with automated investing uh for 30 bucks a month. So, you know, the the, the numbers get crazy when you get into, you know, million dollar, 2 million dollar portfolios you're talking about. What is it like at a million dollars it comes out to, to under under 4 basis points all in for a client. That's t- taking clients out to to lunch and out to golf and all that. Uh you know, that sustains some folks for some time, but uh, you know, I think when, when folks have large rollovers and they're really calculating the value that they get uh, from their advisor, that if the advisor is not really, really going deep uh, in terms of planning and coaching and making that an ongoing process, it's going to be
0: hard to compete with, with those types of value props. But do you think that was their target? And who, who is Schwab targeting with the subscription pricing? Do you, is, it, is it advisors or is it Vanguard?
2: Well, I think it's it's all the above. So definitely, I mean, for all the the buzz about uh, uh, alienating advisors in terms of the custody business, that nothing's changed. That's always been the case, and it's true more or less of all the, the custodians. I think from a just from a direct uh, marketing positioning, I'm I think it's it's the boomer rollovers more than anything else. Not that it's only that, but. Um, from, you know, something that's very compelling to somebody rolling over whatever it might be, you know, 700000 a million dollars, you know, they, they, they don't care as much about the 50 to 100, right? The way that they priced it, it breaks even at 100, just over $100,000. So they're going to grandfather the folks in that have less than that until they exceed that, and it makes more, uh, it's more positive to them to shift to the subscription-based pricing. Um, but for for me it's it's the pre retiree that has some episodic advice needs initially that having that Cfp access will appeal to and and then just the pure pricing versus paying uh, an advisor that they only want to meet with twice a year anyway um one percent or one and a quarter percent or one and a half percent
1: yeah i, w- I would agree to that i think you know um generically i think its Everyone got real worried that Schwab was getting into you know, my space, right? This is our space, and why are you trying to do this? But I think when you really boil it down, just like Gavin did, first of all, you are going to get what you pay for, and we all understand that being part of the industry. Does the consumer, does that end client, that demographic that Gavin just mentioned, do they understand that? No, and that's actually the ideal in for our advisors and planners right? I believe this is actually a stepping stone and might be a good one. Most people who are subscribing to that are either uneducated or educated enough that they need to know something, right? They don't understand the space, but this seems like a good choice. At least I'm doing something. It's not just sitting, right? And so once they can enter that realm and they realize that maybe they're craving more, or maybe that they wish that they could get more of a relationship of attention, of options and choices, that's when they'll go shop to find advisors that are offering services like that for that holistic approach. I think our challenge in this industry, especially on the institutional side, is that we are trying to find the end client who has never made that jump right, or has been sitting with the same advisor for 20 years, and I don't remember his name. And I think if we look at it in a different perspective and say this is a stepping stone, and they will come to you understanding a little bit more about their money, but craving more about what to do with it in plan, um, what a great value proposition for advisors and planners for people coming off of that platform. We're very worried about them going in. I'm excited for when they graduate from that.
0: Great point. So you see it as more advertisement that these type of cheap services can't provide what advisors can provide and that clients that try it will realize they need more and then call an advisor?
1: I think so. I mean, you know, uh, Johnny Sandquist on, on on Twitter wrote a great article about this and was throwing it into the bucket of, you know, is this the next Netflix and although we should not, you know, put it in that bucket in the sense of movies versus advice, the idea of the subscription model is what everybody was talking about. Now, we all have Netflix, okay? There's a lot of people who cut the cut the cable, right? But a lot of people cut the cable and then went back, okay? They realized what they missed. And I'm, I'll am i tell you my story. I did Netflix and subscribed to $7.99. And now I have two kids. I'm already paying whatever it is, $14.99. I upped it. I didn't get enough. So
2: subscription models have the, that just went up to 15.
1: Yeah. See, and you know what? And I don't even know because it auto debits me. Right. So that's the whole idea Uh, of subscription. (laughs) So that's what I'm saying is this does have that same, you know, uh, concrete floor of the house mentality, like Johnny was mentioning. And that is the subscription looks good in a sense of it will take care of me. It's automatic. And at least I feel like I'm doing something. But what happens is you suddenly then either look at your bank statement or try to really figure out, am I getting value out of it, right? And you're either going to ask questions or ignore it. And I think we have more people asking questions because they are trying to get the value out of it. And so do they learn a little bit, identify what they really need, and then crave the relationship? I think so. I just think we're going to need some time for all of that awareness to come about.
2: I love that perspective. I, I think that, that's a great point. If I'm an advisor, the way I should look at it to say, look, yes, I have to up my game. I've got to be able to scale personalized advice to to compete with that and and you know be able to do have a strong value proposition in terms of the cost and, and the value I'm providing. Um, but yeah, I, that service, if that brings more, um, you know, millions more into some kind of a, a planning and advice framework and then there's going to be some of those that crave might be a strong word but at least be open more open because they have a taste of it and then if somebody comes along that that really focuses on on you know whatever niche they might be in a um, small business owner that has a liquidity event and i need more personalized attention divorced people that have specific financial issues I think that that friend married to the need to really specialize in a marketplace and become the expert in the market, uh, and build your planning uh, focus around that, I think th- those two things coming together—that that is where the opportunity is.
1: Yeah, and and let's put this full circle here. We were just talking a while back about how, you know, I think we all hope that advisors and planners are going to shift to be more wealth management centric. The technology, the infrastructure, the business strategy is all pushing that way. So if you really look at it, when Schwab came out with that announcement, I kind of just looked and said, we're not ready anyway. Yeah. We're not ready for those types of clients. <laughs> and I'm not sure we want them, right? We all want what we can't have. But once, you know, if you really look at it, You know, are those the clients you really want? Are the ones who want to be on a subscription model and not talk to you and not see your value? That's not your segment. And they will be someday, but not today. And so I think we all crave what other, you know, companies are having, whether it be in the technology space or investment management space. But um, I think it's okay to let that segment do their thing, because I do believe it'll boomerang back.
2: And I agree. I don't think that the average advisor is ready. And one thing we didn't touch on, and Craig, maybe this will be a topic to go deeper in a, in a future podcast, when we were talking about CRM, I, I meant to bring it up, is, is AI. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that is, that's the game changer for me in terms of leveraging all that. We, we talked about data. Uh, we talked about financial planning. And so be able to take all of that data, marry it to a client's personal financial plan, their budget. Uh, their financial priorities in real time. So the plan is living and breathing and an advisor then becomes the coach and the mentor and the person that's that's finding insights out of all this, not just selling more product, but finding personalized insights to the client. That's a value that a remote advisor that doesn't really get to know the client and isn't able to spend that time finding those insights through uh, an AI-enabled CRM. That's
0: That's what needs to come. So I was just having some conversations with people on LinkedIn about this and how their opinion was that AI is a threat to advisors and it's going to take their jobs. And my opinion was that this is a boon to advisors and it's going to free them up from a lot of effort they were doing manually as like a portfolio rebalancer is a boon. And any other tool is a boon. If if you're a human, you're going to find new ways to leverage the tools to improve your business as opposed to looking at it as a threat that you're taking away my job. If a computer can do that, then you should find something else to add value to that. That's that's was my opinion. Absolutely. How about you, Kristen?
1: Yeah, I, I completely yeah, I completely agree with that. And and again, I think what's it's interesting as I listen and as I'm speaking, I'm we continuously come back to the word value. Um And that value proposition, and whether you're talking about fees, whether you're talking about services or technology, I think that's what every advisor right now is questioning. And they haven't had to do that in a very long time. Uh, the expectation was you walked into a client meeting with a performance report that was 30 days stale of value in all things, and you talked about it matching up against the S&P, and that was good enough. And it's not anymore. And so it's making advisors shift their mentality and their business models. And when you make that shift, you're absolutely right. You have to look at these pieces and say, can I use a little bit of that to leverage myself instead of saying, can I bathe in AI and be worried about my value? <laughs> right? And I think that's the other thing we have to, that's really important here is a lot of times firms think that when they bring on a technology it has a surface layer. It takes over the entire piece of business or an entire role to replace a human. And I actually think, you know, to Gavin's point, AI comes into the picture, and then we all say, where does it fit? Does it replace anything? Because we automatically assume that things like AI or a TAMP, um, Robos, you know, that digital side, we automatically think that that replaces something. And I often say, what about the other side of the coin, which is it doesn't replace it, but rather enhances it. And that just adds more madness to your tech stack and your ecosystem and your people. And again, you know why we're talking today.
2: (laughs) And that's why I I like. I, I prefer to define AI as augmented intelligence mm. versus artificial. That, wow. as, as an advisor, <clears throat> as just wealth managers, That that's the mindset that they should have. This is augmenting my ability to deliver personalized advice, personalized advice at s- scale. It's not taking my job away, Craig, to your to your point before.
0: Right. Yeah, it, that's that's a good way to think about it. Because there's, there's, there's one one thing I was listening to a podcast, and I apologize, I can't remember which one it was, where they said that there – algorithms and software are taking over a lot of tasks, but there's some things that algorithms cannot do yet. And that's find new stuff that humans need. And that's what humans are still excelling at is, is learning what other humans need and, and finding new stuff for them. So that's, that's what advisors as in every industry need to do.
2: Being able to communicate that and convey it in a way that inspires and motivates action. That, that's, that for me, that's the, that's, near the top of the, the value chain for advisors, I think more and more as, you know, thirty years ago it was just the act of trading <laughs> was was a service and, and asset management and rebound and financial planning. But now I think looking ahead, it's it's how do I take all this incredible data and digital engagement tools and, and access to planning, but actually have the right conversations at the right time. To inspire and drive the right behavior, because whatever wealth level a, a client's at, everyone is struggling with certain issues around uh, trade-off decisions, cash flow decisions, uh, future needs, and and having that coach that can translate things in a way that actually gets you to do something that's in your long-term best interest. That's the the highest value in my mind. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: that's a that's a great point. And, and to your point, Gavin, I think. I think what in our industry, what we're doing is identifying those tools as the end of the race, rather than being the catalyst to promote the relationship building, right? So I'd like to use AI to then get this result instead of saying, AI is going to just open the door, right? Or the digital space is going to open the door for me to then foster the relationship with the client, right? At the end of the day, we're really talking about wanting to build that relationship to open the door, to learn more about what they have or what they need. Just like you said, where does that tunnel lead us? It leads us to uncovering other assets they forgot about or they weren't telling us about. It leads us to manage that 401k that we didn't know we even could. And then that leads you to, you know, all the conversation happening within the industry, you know, whether it's Michael Kitchis and everyone else talking about how, you know, you can bill on that. And the hallelujah moment that advisors right. are having and saying, really, and so I think we're we're forgetting that point that as much as we want to foster the relationship of what we know today, the real value of this data, right, uh, ping ponging us back to, you know, the original investment conversation. Why do we want all this data? Because there's still more. We know there is, and there's value in giving that net worth, um, you know, proposition to clients. But also, there's always more nest eggs somewhere. And we're trying to uncover that
0: yeah. ultimately. Yeah, there's always more. Yeah, Well, there isn't more There's time for this podcast because we're, <laughs> we're running out of time. So let's, Come on. So let's wrap we're just up. Getting final, started, we're going to wrap up. That's my job. Don't take my job again. So let's wrap up if we can. This has been great. I think we were talking about doing this once a quarter or uh, on an alternative schedule. We're going to do this podcast every time investment invest and acquire something, whichever comes first. <laughs> but so final thoughts, Gavin, go ahead. Yeah. One, one minute it begins with
2: understanding what your value proposition should be and the technology, the data strategy, AI strategy all is is an enabler it, you have to come from that that place and then the answers will will reveal themselves for your particular uh, wealth business or, or advisory practice uh, don't 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 get enamored by the shiny new toy and just try to bolt on one more thing because you think that's going to be the uh, the thing that pushes you over the top. Have that clarity and then figure out the right strategy. Okay, Kristen,
0: what's your final thoughts in one minute?
1: I think that with all of the pieces we talked about today, many advisors are coming to people like Gavin and I to help make decisions. And I often try to simplify that by saying no matter what avenue you are researching, It is a rinse, repeat mentality, which means by the time you're done researching, something will have changed and you need to look at it again. So matching all of these pieces of the to your business strategy, to your services offered, to your business plan and whether you want to grow, don't try to make a decision, but rather eliminate what does not fit for you in those spaces elimination is the first step of decision so that you can narrow your scope of what you truly need to grow your business or to build those relationships with clients. So I think my message is, you know, we don't have to shop for everything, but we do take value in shopping for what's needed to help your business grow.
0: And on that note, I would like to thank both of my guests, Gavin Spitzner and Karen Schmidt. You've been wonderful, and thank you. I thought this was a fantastic discussion. I felt we could have gone on for another couple hours. (laughs) We can't do that. We'll save it for the next time. Thanks so much, and look forward to talking to you guys next time. Thank Thank you, you. Craig. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.